active travel. They're words that get banded about a lot at the moment, aren't they? But what do we actually mean by active travel? And why should you even care about it? And why should you spare me, I'm Lee Craigie by the way, Scotland's ambassador for active travel, the time it takes to listen to this podcast series to contemplate your own relationship with it. In a nutshell, what I mean when I talk about active travel is very simply our choosing to travel actively, to walk, ride or wheel our way from A to B. I'm personally really passionate about it, in part because it's what I do, it's how I love to get around the world. But also for the past 20 years, I've worked with socially excluded young people using the outdoors as a therapeutic setting. And you know what it's taught me? Two really important things. One, if we ignore our most basic of human needs to move our bodies outside in the fresh air, then our health and our happiness suffers. And two, it's so incredibly unfair that not all of us have equal opportunity to do that. We are in an environmental and health crisis, and that's really scary, so overwhelming. But instead of worrying about changing the world, I really want to focus on the joy of walking, cycling, or wheeling our short journeys instead of driving them. I know it's not as easy as just choosing to travel actively. The streets we live on have been designed around cars and not people. Safe routes to schools and shops don't always exist. So we have an uphill battle, don't we? Well, kind of. The evidence overwhelmingly shows we want to live in places not dominated by cars and pollution. So that, for me, feels like a really good start. I'm not anti-car. I drive too. But I see the damage that using motorised transport for short journeys in built-up areas can do to the health, wealth and happiness of our local and global communities. As ambassador for active travel, it's my job to broaden and deepen the public conversation on what it means to be able or not able to walk, cycle or wheel between places. For me, that means listening to everyone. Car drivers, people with mobility issues, young people, environmental activists, business owners, politicians and you. In this series of Moving Conversations, I'll be taking a walk or a bike ride with all of these different people and asking the question, what do we stand to lose if we don't change the way we move about? And what do we all stand to gain if we do? Okay, so to kick us off, to start this conversation about active travel, I need to start at the top. What's the vision? What do we need to change? And where are we going with it all? One of, the, one of the frustrations that we've got at the moment is that you can't just push ever more money. We, you know, it's one of the few areas of, of the Scottish Government at the moment that's got a growing budget, so that's a huge opportunity. But you can't just push ever more money into the same machine. That's the man with the plan, well, the policy. Patrick Harvey, MSP, who, among other things, is the Scottish Government's Minister for Active Travel. So we need to redesign the delivery model, effectively, uh, to meet the scale of ambition. And that means change, and it means working with some of the, the organisations, whether it's local authorities, voluntary sector or whatever, who are part of that landscape, and saying, actually, how does 
the way you do your job need to change. And it's, it's hard to have that conversation sometimes without implying you're doing something wrong. And that's not really what the conversation's about. It's about, you know, if we were designing uh, an active travel delivery model from scratch for the scale of ambition that we're bringing now, we would end up with something quite different. Mm -hmm. So how do we move to that mm -hmm. without losing the skills and the capacity and the enthusiasm and oh. the, uh, the, 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 the talent that's out there uh, already? So we're kind of in a sort of transitional phase at the moment as we see the budget growing. Next year, the, the budget that will be debated next year and comes in for 24, 25, that's where the really big step change is in terms of the amount of money. So we need a new delivery model in place for that. I think that the will and the enthusiasm is there, but there is also out there some skepticism and some reluctance and some people for whom just doing things the way they know is, is a little bit easier. Um, and in some parts of the political spectrum, uh, it's also too easy. Some people are too ready just to jump on anything about active travel as an opportunistic thing. Mm -hmm. You know, especially if it feels like it's a change that people feel it is being done to them mm -hmm. rather than a change that they're part of discussing and part of deciding. Mm -hmm. uh, then anything that takes away parking space for your car or implies that you should be using your car a bit less or that you know, changes road space allocation like bike lanes and bus lanes and so on. Anything like that, you know, is always going to be vulnerable to those who just decide, I'll, I'll pick this issue up and, and look grumpy in the local paper, uh, pointing at a bike lane and try and make people angry about it. And we know that, you know, down south at the most extreme end, you're starting to get some of the kind of paranoid conspiracy type language like uh, climate lockdowns, that's the yeah. phrase that's been used yeah. for things like low traffic neighbourhoods. It's nonsense, it is nonsense, but it can come out if we don't get the, the engagement right and the public participation and the, 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 the ability for communities to shape the decisions rather than just find them imposed. You know, not everybody is, uh, you know, going to hop on a bike for every journey. Some people will be bike, bike enthusiasts and will be really happy about that. Some people do, for whatever reason, need to use a car for certain journeys, maybe need to use a car for every journey. Uh, that's a, a small number of people who I think have that need to use a car for everything. Uh, some people might be open to, to switching to public transport, say, uh, even for some of their journeys, but they need to know that it's there. They need to know it's reliable and it's affordable and it's clean and it's safe. And it isn't for everybody. Uh, Safety is another thing, you know, even an area like we're, we're walking through Holyrood Park at the moment. Uh, it's, uh, it's late morning, it's a nice bright day. At night time, this won't feel safe for everyone coming through it, uh, on a bike or on foot. Uh, and so we need to address those, those issues around safety and they don't impact the same way on men and women, on other marginalised groups, on older people or people with disabilities. So we need to make sure that we're doing this and working through this change in a way that takes account of everybody's experience and those are different experiences. And it's those different experiences that are really important. Imagine a world where everything was designed by the same person, the same group of people perhaps, but they didn't have any input from the people who were going to use what it was they were designing. I bet you've already worked out where I'm going with this. If we're going to redesign how we travel and move, we need to engage with everybody however they move.
And I think even some of the language we use sometimes uh, almost feels like a bit of a closed door in, in terms of bringing people into those conversations. Active travel, right? I know what it means uh, in terms of policy making. You know, it is a, a thing, active and sustainable travel, active travel. It's not language that most people use in their daily lives. Uh -huh. And it sounds, you know, if you just lob that into a conversation, uh, it sounds as though that's a thing that an enthusiast would do or, you know, something that, that is, is kind of jargon for your planning department yeah, or something, you know. Um, whereas for most people, you know, walking is a thing that they do, even if they do use a car, uh, even if they use public transport, especially if they use public transport, walking is going to be part of your journey at both ends. Yeah. Um, in fact, some of the, the countries that have got much more of a cycling culture, some of the other northern European countries that are way ahead of us on this, uh, it's really, really clear that the vast majority of their public transport journeys, people are going by bike to and from stations or they're walking, and they've made their public transport networks far more uh, you know, attractive and safe and, and great to, to travel to and from actively. And that's part of their that kind of joined up sense of, of how people get about. It's not just that, you know, here's a bus or here's a train or here's a tram and it sits in isolation. Um, so yeah, that's, that's something that we need to get a lot better at is thinking about it in a, you know, almost in a, the, the kind of unthinking way that, that people do travel actively. They don't set out, you know, here is the walking part of my route and then I will switch modes uh, and then I will switch modes again and you know it's it's just normal life it's just how people do things and uh, yes yeah, sometimes the way we talk about it in, in this almost overly formal way is, is a bit of a barrier to people even thinking about it. And I guess that's kind of where I come into this picture in my role. I like the idea that we have someone who's not formally part of government policy making and decision making but whose whose job is to join the dots a wee bit with that public conversation with that sense of you know what do people expect what do people want uh, from from the way that we make decisions around uh, how we move about and how can we change the conversation that happens on that um, to, to make more people feel that changes is possible and realistic and actually would work for them. I almost feel like I should kick off by changing my title from ambassador for active travel to ambassador for joy or something. Well there is there is something joyful about uh, moving about in a, a kind of human way whether that's on foot whether that's on bikes whether that's people you know moving for for recreation going for a walk or a run for pleasure or, or just the way we get to and from the shops or, or to work or whatever, there there is something that's that's human and joyful about it, which doesn't you know, policy making doesn't really recognise that you know, uh, government policies never talk about uh, about that. But you know, we we talk about well-being, we talk about mental health, we talk about uh, these things. Uh, we jargonise it all. Maybe I should be the anti-jargon ambassador because it detracts so much from what is and wanting to do here. When I finally got back on a bike after years of just feeling that Glasgow wasn't a safe place to get on a bike, uh, you know, switching from, from buses to, to bikes in Glasgow, it, it's the single thing that made me the happiest. Uh, and I, I thought about that as the, the happiest way to move about the city. In public policy terms, you know, 
we can we can label that as well-being or mental health or whatever but we we know that we have an environment that doesn't support people's happiness all the time mm. and it could do uh, and it should do and you know this business of, of getting to where we're going shouldn't feel like it's a a burden and a chore. It should be about experiencing the place that Absolutely. we live in. Okay, so let's just ban words like active travel and well-being and get down to the nitty-gritty of what it actually feels like. Let's bring in words like freedom and control over how we get around maybe instead. Without wanting to be too cruel about Glasgow's bus services, <laughs> uh, most people who rely on them are not big fans. Uh, they're expensive and at the, at the time I was you know uh, not necessarily in the highest paid job uh, the um, the ability to be a little bit more in control that you're not you know constantly thinking is the bus going to turn up or you know what's the timetable or what's the route where does it go what's the best you, you go where you want when you want for nothing mm. and especially now in a cost of living crisis making the the cheapest and healthiest and greenest ways of getting about uh, easier for people to do and safer for people to do. I mean, that, that should be an obvious, Absolutely. obvious step around yeah. reducing people's costs. But people feel those other barriers. Things like, you know, the kit, thinking that you've got to have the gear, you've got to have all the kit. Or, you know, worrying about repair. A repair job, even a simple one, is going to cost you more than tomorrow's bus fare. And if you haven't got that, you, you're going to be back on the bus and you're going to end up paying much more overall. Mm -hmm. But day by day, you know, that's, that's a barrier. So making repair services cheaper and available and we've, we've put money into that as well. So just demystifying it. and uh, I mean, one of the things that's changed my experience more recently is... Uh, around my own mobility and I've started to get a touch of arthritis and it comes and goes mm. and that that was a real worry for me when that started to, started to get bad because it you know it it would really really depress me to think I'm going to be hobbling about between bus stops instead mm. of moving about in the way that I was more used to actually what I found is the bike even when my leg is bad mm. the bike is so much easier than walking yeah. uh, and actually you know we can have an active travel environment we can have uh, places towns cities communities that are easy and safe to, to walk and, and wheel and cycle that are actually re removing the other barriers that already exist to how people move about mm -hmm. uh, around issues like disability and, and mobility <laughs> From, from my point of view as a green politician, you know, the, it's very clear that the crisis, the emergency situation that the whole world is in is directly related to this notion that running a human economy is constantly about generating more, 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 more. The pursuit of everlasting economic growth uh, is, is intimately connected to the destruction of our life support system and of a lot of the rest of the living world around us. Um, and so it manifests in tiny ways everywhere. The, the kind of presenteeism culture that so many parts of our economy have, the idea that you need to be showing that you're working hard all the time, 
you know, there are plenty of workplaces. We're just nipping out for half an hour after your lunch to the local park would, would you know, set you up for the rest of the day. It would make you feel that you're going to be happier and healthier and, and maybe even more productive as well. But, but that's not necessarily what it's about. But the, the idea that we, we're on this kind of treadmill all the time, uh, just kind of the, the sense of everlasting economic activity being the only thing that we care about. Maybe that half hour walk for the park, walk in the park after lunch, doesn't serve any purpose other than the enjoyment of it. But it's something that everybody ought to be able to, to, to experience as part of their day. And whether that's about, again, how we design our cities, you know, how much green space we still have that people can use, how much space that's not commercial, that people can go to without having to spend money. Uh, or indeed the, the culture of work and the culture of this notion that we need to be constantly almost justifying every minute of every day in, in productivity terms, you know. It's quite a cultural shift though, isn't it? To move away from the idea that we can only be happy by acquisition, by accumulation of stuff. But that was a cultural shift in itself and it was deliberately brought about by people who invented the advertising and PR industries and, and you know, this, this notion that the way that we've been living in the last couple of generations is, is normal or <laughs> unavoidable. I don't buy that at all. You know, the, uh, for, for most of human history, we haven't lived in that way. And if we're going to have a long human history ahead of us, we're not going to live that way <laughs> in the future either. In my dream scenario in this job, I'd like to offer up the argument that walking, cycling or wheeling is attractive because it's good for our health and good for our environment. But more often than not, I'm finding that what persuades a lot of us to do something is simply down to money. And I had to admit to Patrick that that sits a bit uncomfortably with what I believe in. I think there's nothing wrong with talking about how this change works with the economy, so long as we're, we're not thinking that we are subservient to that economic need. You know, the, the, how, how do we change the economy to work for us? How do we change the economy to work in a, a, a human way, in a, a healthy way, and in a way that doesn't trash the natural world around us? Yeah. That, that change is a conversation about the economy. It is a, change, a conversation about how the way we move about fits with a better economy rather than fitting with the economy as it, as it is today and in, in the way that it mm -hmm. sort of distorts people's expectations. Moving about is always going to be part of human existence and it's also always going to be part of how we, you know, meet our needs, meet our economic needs as well as our social and our health needs. Um, so, yeah, there's huge potential not just for changing how we move about to do something very, very specific like reduce carbon emissions, which we absolutely have to do as fast as we can, but changing the way we move about also shapes our co communities. It shapes the, you know, if, we, if you change the, 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 the way we move about in a, uh, the, on the scale that I think we can do, that will itself change where homes get built and what kind of homes get built. It'll change where public services are delivered and whether everything's centralised or decentralised. It'll change the expectations about how our economy is going to work as well because 
you know, people moving from place to place is fundamental to shaping that economy. So yeah, it's got huge potential, not just to be a reactive kind of solution to a problem like carbon emissions uh, or, you know, inactivity and, and the impact on health, but actually a solution, a part of reshaping the kind of society that we live in. So when it's put like that, it feels like active travel has these tendrils that reach into every area of our society, connecting up every different part of it. But trying to join up massive issues like health, transport, social justice and the environment through a powerful tool like active travel is still a huge struggle. Some of the, some of the images that we see people sharing online about, uh, you know, whether it's the Netherlands, whether it's... Uh, Denmark, you know, some of these countries that have made a lot of these changes successfully for decades mm. uh, and just have infrastructure that, to my mind, looks like science fiction because, you know, I see, you know, this kind of stuff, people walking and cycling easier. That's that's the future of travel. That's that's something utopian. You know, oh. And it, it feels as though we're so far behind. How could we possibly make that change? Uh, but you know, experiencing that, that kind of place and the ease and the naturalness with, with which people have taken to, to the things that have, the possibilities that have been opened up to them now that their towns and cities aren't congested, clogged up and dangerous places to be in. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I still struggle. I would like an easy, nice kind of replacement for terms like after travel, something that sums up this kind of uh, transformation that we can that we can achieve but when you see it you you know it I was in Copenhagen recently for the European Green Party Congress and uh, <laughs> the thing that made me laugh as soon as I got off the train and arrived there yes of course the hotel has its own fleet of hire bikes for the guests to use <laughs> why wouldn't we have that what, what do you need normal bike adaptive bike wow. bike with child seat cargo Holy. bike we've got them all of course <laughs> That's amazing. They had an adaptive bike at the hotel. Yeah, I think one of the problems with with change generally, and, and you know, politics is is quite often bad at this. It's so much easier to offer people a version of what they're used to. Um, I'll solve your problems about congestion by building a new, a new road or a bigger road. Um, I'll solve your problems about how much it costs you to move about by cutting fuel tax. Make it cheaper for you to put petrol in your car. Um, it's really easy to offer people a variant on what they're used to. It's much harder uh, to offer people something that is a completely different way of engaging with the problem or with the, the challenges or with their expectations of, of how their community is supposed to be. That's a hard thing to do. Uh, it's what we absolutely need to do because I think very few people now are genuinely under the impression that we can continue as we are. We know that if we carry on living as we are, we will hit the buffers, mm -hmm. ecologically, environmentally and economically. Uh, and so change is coming, you know, whether we would choose it or not, I would choose it, but whether you would choose it or not, it's, it's clear that our economy is going to have to change direction, is already changing direction, but we need to mm -hmm. accelerate that. We need, it's amazing how often we use these transport metaphors <laughs> for everything, and, but we need to make that real for people in a way that 
that doesn't feel scary but feels liberating because it is going to be liberating. Time is passing fast and if we need change to come about fast then maybe we should just make it happen without all the discussion, just get on and do it. But Patrick thinks not. I know that's tempting but I, I, I would worry that that would, that would end up with that democratic consent simply being withdrawn. That if you impose too much on people uh, and you don't bring people with you, uh, they're just going to turn around and say no. And quite understandably, because you know, democratic consent is the only legitimate basis for making decisions about our society. Um, we don't have as much time as we should have. You know, if we'd started making these changes uh, you know, during the, the energy crisis of the 1970s, for example, when the alarm bells at that time were already being rung on climate and on environmental breakdown. If we'd started making big changes then, they could have been done slowly and easily. Uh, and we're only in what we call a climate and nature emergency now because those changes didn't happen. Decade after decade after decade, because of the lies and propaganda of vested interests, those changes were delayed. So we are decades behind where we should be in these changes. There's no point pretending otherwise. At the same time, you know, every species that doesn't get pushed to the brink of extinction or over the brink, every fraction of a degree that we can hold back uh, the temperature change that the world is experiencing, every bit that we can hold back that damage is a huge amount of suffering prevented and death prevented uh, and destruction prevented. So when we, we are behind where we should be. No one's going to pretend otherwise. Uh, but that doesn't mean that it's too late to take action that can limit the damage uh, and give us a not just a livable future, but a, 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 a better future where, you know, perhaps we are less focused on, on GDP and productivity but perhaps more able to enjoy those, those human pleasures that we were talking about earlier, about being in a place that feels happy and healthy and safe and being able to move about it easily. And that feels like a really lovely positive note to wrap up this episode on, to leave on a note of hope and the possible and not get capsized by the enormity of the job in hand. In the next Moving Conversation episode, I'll be exploring how we go about making these changes. How do we make our shared public spaces fairer and happier and healthier and bring as many people as possible along with us when we do so? Mm -hmm.